you're tuned to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcasted live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator. And he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for almost 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, folks, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Welcome to October, East Tennessee, and thank you for tuning in to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I'm coming to you from the Brogan Financial Studio at News Talk. And, you know, today I'm going to talk about a very important topic. October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And every year, there are more than 10 million women and men in the U.S. that are subjected to domestic violence. And it's a pattern of abusive behavior in a relationship that is used by one partner to gain or maintain control over another intimate partner. And it includes psychological violence and emotional abuse. Domestic violence occurs across the world and is found in every neighborhood It affects people from all walks of life, regardless of gender, race, or economic status. Today, I'm honored to have Catherine Oakes join us to talk about domestic violence awareness and prevention. She is the Director of Victim Services at the Helen Rass McNabb Center. She received both her bachelor's and master's degree of social work from the University of Tennessee. Good morning, Catherine, and welcome to More Living. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Um, how long have you been at the at the Helen Ross McNabb Center? Yeah, so I have been at the McNabb Center for about twelve years. And did you go straight there after call, after you got your master's degree? How long have you been in Knoxville? So no, I did not. So I had um, a few other uh, jobs that I did. I moved to Nashville for a little bit, and then I came back. Uh, to uh, work at the McNabb Center. So, Catherine, um, you know, domestic violence can be something that's difficult to talk about, but it, the reality is mm-hmm. when we look at the data, it, it it's, it's happening all around us. I mean, first off, is that a correct statement? Oh, yes. That, unfortunately, is is very accurate. So, you know, regardless of if you think you know someone around you uh, or not that has experienced it, I can guarantee you um, that that you would know at least one person um, who has experienced some form of domestic violence. So what constitutes domestic violence? I mentioned, you know, we all think of physical things. I mentioned in that intro that it also includes, you know, emotional and and psychological Mm -hmm. things. So just give us... Give us an idea what constitutes domestic violence. Yeah, first of all, I would like to say I really appreciate you saying that um, because that is, you know, um, just in general, most people think of physical violence. And there's so much more than just that. So there is the emotional uh, and psychological aspect as well. um, And then even financial abuse. 
So really at the root of domestic violence is power and control. So you have one individual who is really trying to control their partner by using all of these different forms um, of violence. So yes, it can include physical or sexual violence, um, but there is also a lot of that coercive control. Um, the, The type of control that many times is behind the scenes that people don't always see, it's not as overt. Um, but that can be, you know, the emotional abuse. Um, it is could be verbal abuse, calling um, names and putting people down and embarrassing them, um, as well as just that whole psychological piece, the um, the threats and the manipulation, maybe isolating um, the partner from family and friends. Uh, we also don't talk much about the financial abuse. And we yeah, actually I wanted, when you see, said that, that made me want to ask you about that. So, yeah, expand yeah. on financial abuse a little bit. So that is one that is typically never talked about, and we actually see that in the majority of the domestic violence cases that we work with. And so that can include a lot of different things. It could be um, maybe not allowing your partner access to financial income, uh, maybe not allowing them to work um, outside the home. Sometimes it's increasing debt. So it may be, um, you know, getting credit cards or, or different things using in your partner's name and increasing debt. So all of these things are used to make it harder for the victim to get out of the relationship and leave the home when you think about maybe they they have no access to money so how can i live on my own if i don't have any money right or it could be um i have no job skills because i haven't been allowed to work um or i i'm now in debt and so it's how am i supposed to get my own place to live so all of those types of things are used to manipulate that person to keep them in that relationship yeah, and I just want to touch on that. Um, I, I don't. I'm not an expert on, you know, financial abuse for sure, but I'm a big believer. I just want to say this, since it's my field that I work in, is with financial advice mm-hmm. and planning. Is I'm a big believer in married couples working collaboratively together with their finances, and usually, one person does naturally take more of a lead in terms of the Mm -hmm. organization and the planning, but I'm still a big fan of both people being, and I think it's important to be involved. And I know, you know, some spouses that we meet with, of course, we work primarily with old, you know, over 55, over 50 years old, but most Mm -hmm. of of the, of the couples that we work with sometimes most of them are very involved, but sometimes we'll have one spouse that really, frankly, does not want to be very involved. But I think it's very right. important that they at least be involved from a 30,000-foot view uh, to mm-hmm. understand everything that's going on where they don't get in a pickle down the line. And I know that's a little bit different than financial abuse, but I do think that's very, very right. important that both people work collaboratively in a marriage. Yes, I think so as well. And And again... You know, to go back to the financial abuse aspect, that power and control is what is at the center and root of that. Sure. So that person is not allowing the other person to be involved. Yeah, and that's kind of the theme I'm hearing here is power and control. Let, let's back uh, up yeah. for just a second, Catherine. I mean, how did you become okay. interested in and in, in involved in helping people who experience this kind of trauma? 
Yeah, so um, that's an excellent question. So, of course, you know, I went into the social work field, and part of what drove me to that is just I've always had a passion and a heart for helping people in need. I wasn't really sure kind of the um, type of population that I wanted to work with. I've worked with um, those who have severe mental illness. I've worked with those who have substance abuse and addiction problems. And one of the um, themes that I found, because that's the area that I worked in initially out of school, uh, was that there was a common uh, thread that I saw with my clients. And the common thread that I saw was a history of some type of abuse or or violence, whether it was um, sexual abuse, domestic abuse, um, child abuse, all of those things um, I saw in the majority of the people that I served. And so um, I was already working at the McNabb Center when we then um, acquired the Sexual Assault Center of East Tennessee and um, Child and Family of East Tennessee, which had the domestic violence services. And so I moved over, um, you know, it was, it became such a passion because I saw that um, it really touched so many different people. And it was something that I felt very led to, um, to work in uh, to try and uh, prevent uh, violence towards others. Yeah. Uh, all that is so worthwhile, everything you just said there. Obviously, you have a heart to serve and, and help people. Um, I, what are some key signs, Catherine, that someone is in a, a domestic violence or abuse situation, whether it's physical or emotional and psychological or financial, as you yeah. said? Right. That's a great question because I think it's so important for everyone to be aware of some of those red flags and things to look for so that you can be a support person uh, as well, or even just noticing if, if something within your own relationship is not healthy. Um, but again, some of that's going to be the controlling behavior. So maybe if you notice someone um, is withdrawing or isolating from family and friends now that they're maybe in a new relationship, um, maybe their partner seems a little overbearing. Uh, maybe they're constantly calling or showing up or not really letting the individual kind of do their own thing or, Have their you know, own voice. Uh, spend time. Exactly. Um, maybe they are, have started to change the way they dress, and that's because maybe this partner is, you know, controlling what they can and can't wear. Um, also, maybe that you see or hear them um, embarrassing the other individual or putting them down in front of people or calling them names. Some of those things you might see. Um, if you notice bruises, it's a good thing to, to ask questions and, um, you know, what, what's, what's really going on. All of those things can be um, pretty big red flags um, that, that something uh, is going on behind the scenes. We're visiting this morning with Catherine Oaks. She is the Director of Victim Services at the Helen Ross McNabb Center, and we're talking about domestic abuse. It's happening all around us, and uh, believe it or not, more than one in three women and more than one in four men in the U.S. will experience some sort of violence or stalking or emotional abuse. So when we come back, I want to talk about the impact on our children, and then as our children get older, things we need to look at, at look out for with them. So stay with us as we visit with Catherine Oaks. This is Jim Brogan. You're listening to More Living every Saturday here at News Talk 98.7 WOKI. 
please watch your mouth. Because life is too short to be politically correct. The Phil Show. The Phil Show. Only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. This is Halloran. Don't go through the fall months with that joint pain. Call QC Kinetics now. Regenerative solutions are here, bringing lasting relief from joint pain with no downtime, no surgery, no steroids. QC Kinetics uses natural biologic therapies that restore and repair damaged tissue in your knees, shoulders, hips, back. Patients are raving about the results. Listen, you don't have to live with that chronic pain and don't think surgery is your only option. Call QC Kinetics now and learn about these exciting natural alternatives. 865-238-4799. You've heard football legend Emmett Smith talk about QC. Now it's time to see what it's all about for yourself. 865-238-4799. QC Kinetics. 865-238-4799 for QC Kinetics. It's time now for the Retirement Minute with the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. How might future changes to Medicare affect your retirement? The House Ways and Means Committee recently voted to expand Medicare benefits, and President Biden's 2022 budget proposal also expands benefits. One change would allow the government to negotiate directly with pharmaceuticals on drug prices. Medicare could also expand vision and dental coverage, and there is discussion to cover some element of long-term care expenses. It is highly likely that Medicare will continue to evolve. However, Medicare is also one of our biggest liabilities and will push our federal debt even higher. Ultimately, I expect Medicare to evolve, especially for lower-income recipients in retirement. That could mean higher tax costs for many retirees. Thanks, Jim. Tune in Saturday mornings at 9 for more living right here on News Talk 98.7 and visit Jim online at broganfinancial.com. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're, we're with you every Saturday from the Brogan Financial Studios at 9 a.m., 9 to 10 a.m., and again at 3 p.m. You can also catch all of our podcasts on my website, broganfinancial.com. Click on radio. We're visiting with Catherine Oaks. October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and domestic violence, domestic abuse can come in many, many forms. And Catherine, one in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to the violence. What are some concerns if there is abuse happening in a household and kids witness some of these situations? Yeah, so that, of course, is a huge concern um, that so many children are witnessing um, and experiencing domestic violence in their homes, and there can be a significant impact in that. Um, First of all, when you think about breaking the cycle of domestic abuse, you know, you really have to provide that intervention um, for the children because they are seeing abuse in their homes. And to them, they they may not know any different. So that may be a a normal occurrence for them. And so many times you may find that uh, individuals who grow up in domestic violence homes grow up to either be abusers themselves 
or victims of abuse. Um, but, you know, even aside, oh, go ahead. I was just saying that's very unfortunate. We know that that is, I mean, we, we, we certainly understand that's the case in a lot of instances. It's very, just very unfortunate. Yes, it is. And then, you know, children who are exposed to violence are also, you know, more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs, run away from home, um, you know, have suicidal ideation or attempt suicide and mental health issues. So there is a, a significant impact on children as well. And even when you think about, you know, the impact it has on their, their school and their education and, um, you know, there's a lot of ways that they can be uh, experience the negative impact from their parents. And then even with younger kids when they're dating in college and even in high school, I can see where mm -hmm. parents, I mean, I've got two kids, Catherine, and two girls, and one's a junior in college and one is a sophomore in high school. So this is right in that, in that wheelhouse of, of younger kids that, that maybe start dating. And I can see where parents might have to walk a fine line when addressing potential issues with their teenage or college-age kids. We don't want to push them away by expressing concerns. We want to be careful. Right. So what are some tips for parents? You know, I think um, one of the most important things to do when we talk about um, that early kind of prevention is just talking about what a healthy relationship, what boundaries, um, healthy communication, assertive communication, what all of those things look like. And so to make sure that we're instilling that in both, you know, our boys and girls um, so that they know what a healthy relationship is and so that they, that they can identify that for themselves as well. Um, but I think that's, you know, important conversations to have if there are concerns, also being able to, to talk with them and say, uh, you know, that um, if there's anything that they want to talk about or if they're having a difficult time with a dating relationship or partner, um, that you're there to support them. Because, like you said, you don't want to push uh, your teens or your kids away, but you always want to be available and, and know, let them know that you're not there to judge, but you want to support them um, through that. So hopefully they'll feel comfortable talking to you about the, any issues that could come up. And I think for those younger, younger folks that are listening, uh, I know that, uh, you know, when we think, when you think about having kids in the future, if you have young children, I don't know. I, I, I do want your opinion on this, Catherine, but I think one of the best things we can mm -hmm. do for our kids with this topic is is to is by example showing them what a, I mean, we, we all in marriage, marriage is tough, you know, in many cases, love mm -hmm. is a choice, but we can still model in, in our own marriages for our kids what a healthy marriage should really look like. And then I would think, you know, my hope is that my girls you know, have kind of seen that, not that we're perfect because we're not, but that they've seen that and then they know what that should look like. Oh, completely. You know, our kids, especially from a, a young age, they're always watching and listening. And um, so being able to model that behavior um, of, of what a healthy relationship, healthy communication um, should look like is so important uh, because, you know, we all want the best for our children as well and you want them to be in healthy relationships when they um, get older and want to be able to show them what that looks like sure absolutely Catherine the pandemic you know there's been a lot of talk about the psychological effects of the pandemic and the ensuing quarantines mm -hmm. and lockdowns has that exacerbated abusive relationships 
It has. And, you know, that has been something that, you know, this, this is a hard time um, for everybody. And so when you add that extra stress, of a pandemic and everything that we've all experienced with that, even healthy relationships, you know, have, you know, experienced more stress during this time. Um, that definitely can exacerbate the existing power and control of what's going on um, in, in a home. And, and that's scary. And it's scary, especially it when, you know, people um, maybe don't have as many options to leave or call someone else, you know, if, if both if both individuals are maybe now at home um, or working from home, that can make it harder for them to reach out to get help too. Absolutely. Now the Me Too movement really kind of brought onto the national scene, really kind of brought to the forefront giving voices to women who have experienced abuse. Have you seen a big shift in reporting since the Me Too movement started? We actually have. Um, you know, when we looked at when the Me Too movement started, that whole kind of first year, we saw the most um, victims we have ever seen come forward um, to seek services and report. And we have continu can continued to see high numbers um, since then because, I, like you said, I think it's so important to really get the word out um, that this is an issue and bring it to the forefront. And it makes it easier for people when, when we're actually having conversations about these topics and we're not making it some taboo thing that just to, you know, sweep under the rug and we're offering help and we're offering advice um, that it makes victims more comfortable coming forward to, to seek help. Now, Catherine, there's been some high profile cases, especially with celebrity that have really brought a lot mm -hmm. of attention to domestic abuse and other situations. Now, on the one hand, you know, the media coverage, does that help people feel like they have support to talk about or report abuse? And then on the other hand, with a lot of what we hear about, especially on college campuses, but then we also saw, you know, all of the stuff that went on with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings for the Supreme Court. You know, mm -hmm. we know what happened with the Duke lacrosse team being falsely accused. Where is the balance between, I mean, we certainly want people to come forward. We want them to be able to report abuse. We also mm -hmm. want, you know, we have a justice system that assumes people are innocent until proven guilty. How do you, how does, how do you feel like we balance all that in the media and in society? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a tough um, situation to be in because, you know, I think it can, the, the media that we've seen, like you mentioned, the national media, those um, celebrity and high-profile cases can go both ways. Um, I think that it can help victims feel confident and comfortable coming forward. But can, it can also hinder it based on the slant or the way that it is portrayed or yeah. maybe how the community comes out and speaks out against it or what's being said about the victims or the outcome of specific um, cases and trials um, could also make it more negative um, for someone to want to come forward. Um, you know, if, if there's a lot of negative talk about victims out in the community and the media, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to come forward. You know, if people were saying a bunch of negative things, I wouldn't want my name to, to be, you know, run through the mud either. And so it's really kind of that fine line of um, 
providing the information and support um, and, and making it a comfortable situation for someone to feel like they have that support to, to come forward. I agree with that, and social media kind of compounds all that, and I'm going to get into that here in our next segment, but I think it's so important. I really like the word balance uh, because I think it's so important when things come to light that we have compassion for everyone involved and that we mm-hmm. and that we listen to all that are involved. I mean, is that a fair thing to say that way? Uh, yeah, I think it's totally fair. I think, you know... Everyone can be quick to pass judgment, but like you said, finding that balance and being compassionate um, and listening and under yeah to everyone and understanding that we aren't in that person's situation, and um, you know we could say we do a lot of things differently, but until you are in that person's shoes and you've experienced everything that they've experienced, you really can't say what you would do. Um, and so, just like you said, I think that balance of being compassionate and listening is so important. Yeah, and I think the golden rule, do unto others as we would do unto us and, and love our love our neighbor as ourself. I think just the compassion, and unfortunately, I think the media, you know, the media sensationalizes everything, and I think it leads people to draw quick conclusions one way or the other, and I think that can mm-hmm. be very dangerous. We're visiting with Catherine Hill. Uh, she is the Director of Victim Services at the Helen Ross McNabb Center, and October is National Domestic Awareness Month, and domestic abuse can come in many, many different forms, as we've discussed, not just physical, psychological, emotional, financial abuse. We talked about that earlier in the show. When we come back from our bottom-of-the-hour break, I want to talk about some of the social media impact and the Gabby Petito case and how that has exacerbated the whole thing. And uh, so we'll continue to visit with Catherine Hill. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're here every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. and again, 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch our podcasts on our website at broganfinancial.com. Just click on radio. And we've got just a a world of information there. Uh, We've got our shows, and then, of course, we've got a lot of financial resources. Uh, October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and domestic violence and, and abuse can come in a lot of ways, shapes, or forms. They're really, it's, it's happening all around us as we visited, as we have been visiting with Catherine Oakes from the Helen Ross McNabb Center. She's Director of Victim Services. And let's talk about the Gabby case, Catherine. I know in the news the past few weeks, yeah. there's been speculation mm-hmm. of abuse as an underlying mm-hmm. motive for her disappearance and murder. And there have been lots of reports of her social media followers evaluating video clips convinced that there was abuse by her fiancé. Do you think that social media can be helpful or hurtful? I would think it could really be both. But how it can kind of feed into this in either a good way or a bad way. So what is your perspective on how social media can compound these issues in good or bad ways. Social media, right. I I agree with you there. I think it can be, it can go either way, good and bad. 
Um, but social media is such a huge aspect um, of our lives these days. And, you know, so many people use social media um, for just their news, their communication. And so it really, um, it can, it can definitely go both ways. I think um, on a positive way, it is an outlet where, again, we can provide support to victims and survivors of violence. Um, and, you know, I think that you talk about specific, you know, criminal cases. I, I, I can't imagine, too, being on the law enforcement side of things. I'm sure that could um, probably be frustrating, too, uh, and, and going both ways um, as far as, you know, all of these individuals trying to get involved and, um, and, and kind of assuming what could or could have, you know, could not have happened. Um, so I think we do see both sides of that. And, and then again, like you said, you know, on the, on the negative side of things, it's how is it being portrayed? What is it that um, individuals are putting out there on social media that could also be um, maybe blaming victims or could be negative that could make um, victims not want to seek services uh, or help. So it definitely can can go either way, depending on that type of information um, that's being put out there. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. You know, we compassion comes to mind, the word compassion. You know, don't rush to judgment. There's no way we could put ourselves in in that other person's shoes, right? So I think being compassionate to all those involved is so important. Um, now, on average, I said earlier that it's mm-hmm. 10 million men and men and women in the United States are physically abused by an intimate partner in a year. Mm-hmm. So how can we help? How can our listeners, how can I, how can you help someone who you suspect is struggling with some sort of an abusive situation? Yeah. So I think it's really important to, first of all, never um, blame the victim. So um, being mindful of the the words and and how you're talking with someone, because we don't ever want um, a victim of abuse to think that uh, the violence that they is being inflicted upon them is their fault, um, because it's not. And um, really just being... That's kind of a common thing, isn't it, right? People that are victims feel like it's... You know, they feel like, oh, I've caused this to some degree. Right. It's very common. And especially when you look at domestic abuse cases, the perpetrator or the abuser in those cases is making the victim feel that way. So they will tell them it's their fault or this has happened because of what you did or what you said. or um, And so they're, you know, they continue to have that belief themselves. And so we really want to um, provide support to those individuals and really just be a a listening ear. Um, You know, it's really difficult for someone who's in an abusive relationship to leave. And they get stuck in that cycle of abuse. And as we mentioned, there can be so many other factors, such as the financial abuse. Maybe they don't think it's feasible for them to leave a situation. Or maybe their abuser is using their children to, you know, control them and keep them in a relationship. And so understanding that there are a lot of other factors um, that could be why someone, it's not just so easy. You know, we want to say, well, why don't you just leave a relationship? There's so many other things going on behind the scenes. Um, and so, you know, giving that person some, some grace and not giving up on them, I think is really important um, to 
make sure they know that you're going to be a support person and available to them um, no matter what, because a lot of times it may take seven times or so. We know that statistically speaking for someone to get out of an abusive relationship. I think that's some great advice there, Catherine. Um, Catherine, what kinds of services does the McNabb Center offer? So here at the McNabb Center, we have kind of a continuum of services. So we do operate a 24-7 crisis hotline. So you're going to speak with one of our staff members um, any time, day or night. It could be, you know, if you're just needing to get more information or um, have questions, we're happy to talk you through that. Um, but we also operate a 24-7 emergency shelter for domestic violence victims. Um, so that's super important for um, when someone is trying to flee and leave an abusive relationship and, and maybe they don't have any other supportive services, they don't know where to go, they're scared that their abuser is going to find them, you know, we're in a non-disclosed location and we will shelter them um, to and help them, you know, get independent housing and get them back on their feet um, independently away from their uh, abuser. We also do um, advocacy efforts and, and working with individuals for filing orders of protection or getting connected uh, with resources. And then uh, transitional housing. So we offer that for a six-month to two-year period as well for victims of violence. Are there that, uh, are there other community groups or services that help with either housing or or even legal needs? Yeah. So one of the um, greatest resources we have here in um, in Knoxville is the Knoxville Family Justice Center, and that is really kind of a one stop shop for someone who's experienced domestic violence. They can go there. They can meet with one of our advocates. The YWCA also has advocates there. Legal Aid is housed there, as well as our law enforcement agencies. Um, and so you can really get easily connected um, to a variety of different resources that you might need. Now, how can we help? Like, how can our listeners, what types of support can people offer to the McNabb Center? You know, do you have needs for physical items? Is financial support best? What's the best way to help? Yeah, so um, financial support is great. Um, a lot of times we we may have specific needs for physical items. So like right now we're collecting um, like hygiene products um, and, and items for our women and children that are coming into our emergency shelter. Um, you know, throughout the year we may have different requests, but for the most part, you know, those are kind of some common themes that, that we uh, – of items that we typically ask for. And then volunteers, well, if anybody's interested in, in, in helping us actually do the work and, and work with individuals, we love to um, open it up to have volunteers uh, work with us as well. Well, Catherine Oaks from the Helen Ross McNabb Center, this has just been extremely informative to just bring us, you know, maybe help us educate us a little bit more about the issues around us, how we can help how we can show compassion, how we can look for warning signs, how we can protect our kids. So thank you so much for being with us this morning. And how can people find out more about yeah. the McNabb Center? Where can they find information? Yes. So you can go to our website, which is mcnabbcenter.org. Um, our 24-7 crisis hotline number is 865 
um, if you have more questions specific to our domestic violence services. And then you can also follow us on social media. So we do have um, some Facebook pages um, and a domestic violence services Facebook page as well. That's great. Catherine, thank you. Thank you for all that you do to serve the community in such an important area. And thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on here to talk about this important topic. And uh, just as we kick off Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, we just we really appreciate you. Well, thank you. That's Catherine Oaks at the McNabb Center. They do some great things over there. So reach out to them if you have any concerns or if yourself need some assistance. Now, we're going to go to our last break, and when we come back, we're going to have our dollars and cents segment, and I'm going to talk about the most overlooked area in estate planning today and a recent case that went to the IRS for a ruling where the beneficiaries had to deal with a rather large income tax time bomb. And how can you make sure your family is not subject to this income tax time bomb? So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and uh, we're on every Saturday 9 to, 3, 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. Imagine spending a lifetime building a retirement account, IRA, 401k, 403b, only to have your beneficiaries lose it in one fell swoop. They mishandle the account, triggering tax on the entire inherited retirement account. This is a real-life horror story described in a recent private letter ruling from the IRS this summer. And what happened is the, the, uh, a couple, an older couple, the husband passed away and left the IRA to, the, to his wife. And then the, the, the wife, in doing her legal planning, did new beneficiary designations, and she named a trust as the beneficiary of the IRA. And the, 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 the children were both, when the, when the wife died, the children were designated to be both the trustees of the trust and the beneficiaries of the trust. So that brings up the first real warning sign. Because, <clears throat> really, um, the, the only reason you would leave an IRA to a trust at death as beneficiary is, to make, is for some sort of control or protection. And now, there, it could have been for some sort of creditor protection, so that could have been a valid reason. 
But other than that, if it was to keep the kids from hurting themselves or accessing the money too soon, uh, that you would think that wasn't the case because they were both trustees and beneficiaries of the account. So it certainly sends up a red flag. Well, then the, the, the wife passed away, and the money then is payable to the trust as beneficiary for the kids. And the kids wanted to have a retirement account. They wanted to inherit that IRA, and under the law, they have 10 years to take the, the, all the money out of the IRA. And they have to pay all the income tax over that 10-year period. Now, we would kind of assume, we, we want to be careful with that, but we would kind of assume that if they're leaving this IRA to a trust, it's probably a pretty nice-size IRA. We don't know that for sure, but more than likely, it's a pretty nice-size IRA. So the kids wanted to be able to inherit it in a way where they could manage the accounts more on more directly, self-directed, and buy and sell stocks. And the way the, the IRA custodian that had this account did not have that capability. They could not buy and sell stocks. So the, the, the financial custodian that had the IRA said, well, we can't, you can't do that here. So what did the kids do for, with the trust? They decided, well, we'll pay the money out to a traditional trust account with another financial custodian. Well, the problem is that triggers all of the income taxes on the entire amount. And more than likely, that was all taxed to the trust. And income tax rates to trust are very problematic. You hit the maximum tax rate, 37%, at around $12,000 or $13,000 of income. So, you know, if this was, let's say this was a $5 million IRA, it would all come out, and then after the first twelve dollars or $13,000, all of it is subject to 37% income tax. So you've got this huge tax time bomb that goes off. So the kids appealed to IRS to have an exception and allow them to put the money back into another inherited IRA account. See, if, if the kids had done an IRA-to-IRA an, an IRA transfer, and set up an IRA trust, an inherited IRA trust account with another financial institution and transferred the money directly to that institution, it would not have been taxable. The problem is the rules are very clear with IRS. There's no way to undo it once you take a check, once you cut a distribution from an inherited IRA. There's no 60-day rollover window. There's nothing like that. There's no way to put the money back in. So they appealed to IRS for a private letter ruling, and they failed. And more than likely, that almost that entire account was subject to 37% income tax. And then was there a state tax on top of that? You could have seen easily as much as 70% of that account or more go to the IRS. So th this is the most overlooked area in estate planning today is how, and has been for probably 20 years, how do retirement accounts get passed to your beneficiaries and how can you be sure to give them tools to deal with the income tax time burden, make sure they're educated of their choices, make sure they're working with the proper institutions to help them with those choices. That's what we do at Brogan Financial. But there are so many things involved and it is often overlooked. Attorneys do a lot of legal planning. They typically don't do beneficiary designations. Usually you do that on a self-directed account or your financial advisor does that. 
but they're often overlooked. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Please check us out at BroganFinancial.com. I've got my upcoming class at Pellissippi State, How to Thrive Financially in Retirement. It is October the 19th and 26th. Two two-hour sessions at 6.30 p.m. out at Hardin Valley. You can get the full syllabus at PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. Now, the other thing, I've got a new class. It's a one-night class on November 2nd at Hardin Valley, Pellissippi State. Tax Planning in the New Age. You won't want to miss this. I'm going to talk about the history of our tax brackets and why that's important moving forward, understanding the context of how our tax brackets have changed with economic events historically. What can you expect from the future of tax rates? How can you plan for the sweet spot of, of, of tax planning, which is between retirement age and age 72, and how you can use the power of zero effectively? How can you take advantage of a 0% tax rate in the early years of retirement. So check all that out at my website, broganfinancial.com. You can click on classes for all of that schedule and, and information. Thank you for tuning in this week. We've talked about National Domestic Violence Awareness a month because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you for Chris engineering the show. Thank you, Jill, for producing the show. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on the News and Talk of East Tennessee, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.